morning and welcome to the Vicki Child Show, P.I. Answers. I hope you're having a great Thursday and I'm happy that you could join us today. Keep in mind that if you have any questions today that you want to call in, you can call 646-652-2071 on Hear Women Talk. Well, glad to have you. I, uh, I wanted to talk today about divorces and we have a very special guest who's going to join us in a minute. If you've ever been through a divorce or you know anybody that's been through a divorce or had any custody issues, you know that they can be extremely complicated and often drawn out and almost always very, very emotional. So the one thing that everybody needs if they're going through a divorce is a real steady hand and a steady guide to get them through all the legal issues. And today we have Emily Johnston on who's an attorney who's going to talk about that and, and and she certainly is one of those people that has a steady hand and can get you through that whole divorce process. In my career of 24 years in, in private investigations, I was figuring out the other day, and I think uh, I come pretty close to this figure of having worked anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 divorce and child custody cases, and they are almost always very emotional and certainly can be very complicated with the issues and with children when they're involved too it becomes even increasingly complicated so I'm very very glad today to have Emily Johnston on um, Emily is an attorney and a mediator and an MBA who also deals with helps clients deal with the financial problems that are associated with divorce. Emily, I'm, I'm super thrilled to have you today, and I want you to give our listeners a little background information about you. Thanks, Vicki, um, and hello to the listeners out there. I My name is Emily Johnston. I grew up in North Carolina, and I came to South Carolina about 25 years ago and have been practicing law since then. I am a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I got all my education there, including law school and MBA school. And my focus in the last, um, my extensive focus and, and sole focus in the last 15 or so years has been um, practicing and representing people in family court litigation. So we, my firm is devoted to assisting people go through that process, and we certainly have a wide represent people going through a wide range of situations, including the initial divorce process um, and, and modifications and enforcement actions, which are also important in the family court context. Once you have a divorce decree, sometimes the other person doesn't live up to their side of the deal, so enforcement becomes an issue. And in South Carolina, we, the family court has pretty extensive power to enforce um, the orders that, that the courts um, direct. So. Part of our practice is devoted to that as well. I'm also a mediator. I'm a big, big believer in mediation, Vicki, because it really helps people get through the process with less heartache and less financial burden. So we always try to steer our clients to mediation if it's appropriate, and um, we and the, the courts here also um, want people to try to mediate their cases before they take precious court time for trying their cases in the family court. So that's a little bit about my background. My personal background is I, I am divorced, and so I've, I've been a, a litigant and I've been a lawyer, and um, and I have three children, and um, I devote a fair amount of my time to my children and my practice. So we, we I have two great assistants here at my office, and we all we, we think of ourselves as a team to get our clients through this this process. That's a little bit about me. Well, thank you so much, and I, I have to um, to agree with what Emily says about mediation in particular because the cases that I've been involved in that went through mediation were a whole lot smoother, a whole lot less emotional, and left way fewer scars than some of the divorce battles that I've seen. So I, I think it's a great option, at least in South Carolina, and I'm not sure what other states do, but here in South Carolina, Emily mentioned that that's where she is and that's where I am too, we we see that it makes a big, big difference. Um, Emily, I wanted to talk a, a little bit, speaking of South Carolina, about the law in our state, because our state is not like most of the states in the country that don't recognize adultery or have no-fault divorce. 
in South Carolina, adultery is one of the grounds that allows you to get a divorce faster because if you don't have grounds, you have to wait that one-year separation before you can proceed with your divorce. Explain a little bit about that. Okay. Well, in South Carolina, we do have um, four grounds for divorce, which are called fault grounds. Um, and that th- those fault grounds do require that each that one of the parties um, show that their spouse did something wrong in the general sense of the world, word. So um, the fault grounds are adultery, which we're going to talk about later, physical cruelty, which puts some a person in fear of their life. It's, it can't be verbal abuse, but it's got to be something a little more substantial than that. Habitual drunkenness um, and addiction to narcotic drugs. So habitual habitual drunkenness and um, it encompasses drug addiction. And the fourth ground is desertion. And, you know, practitioners in this state don't see desertion so much because it really is um, swallowed by the no-fault ground of one year's continuous separation. Um, most of the divorces that we see in South Carolina end up being a divorce based on one year's continuous separation Clearly, it's easier to prove. I mean, you just bring your best friend or your mom or your dad into court, and they corroborate that you've been separated for a year. So what most people at the end, even though they get all riled up at the beginning, um, especially where there's adultery um, involved, the ground usually does end up being separation for one year. Now, that no-fault ground, um, that means that the parties cannot live under the same roof. They have to be physically separated, and they can't reconcile after they've separated. So it has to be a true separation with the intent to be, to remain separated. The um, the ground in divorce for one, I mean, the waiting time is a long time. That's 12 months. I mean, most people have to struggle a long time to figure out whether they want a divorce unless there's something like adultery going on. But if it's just an unhappy marriage, we find that most people have thought about it for a long time, and once they sit down in our offices, they're ready to proceed with a divorce. And, you know, sometimes they're a little bit shocked to learn that they have to wait another 12 months to get on with their lives. So, what, what about this? Work. I'm sorry, Emily. I, okay. I, what, what about oh, this? If you, if you have somebody, like you say, they're, they're, they're ready for this to happen, and they go ahead and start their 12-month separation, is that a separation of separate bedrooms or is that actually having to have a separate residence? They actually have to have a separate residence, Vicki. They have to move out of the house or have their spouse move out of the house to start that one-year ticking. Okay. So in South Carolina, you cannot be under the same roof. Lots of people um, believe that they can live in separate bedrooms and the time starts, and that's, that's not the way South Carolina counts a separation. Now, during that one-year separ- one separation, if... If uh, if John and Sue are physically separated, but say six months down the line, John starts to think, you know, maybe I can speed this up a little bit because Sue has a boyfriend, and then Sue has a boyfriend that spends the night with her. Can can the adultery issue come in at any time? The adultery issue can come in at any time. Adultery is adultery um, until the parties are divorced. So generally speaking, you know, if there's adultery going on during the separation, um, either party can sue the other spouse for adultery. Um, We recommend to our clients to, to, you know, while they're going through the divorce process, of course, never to date anyone during their separation process because it could affect substantial rights that they have arising from their marriage. But... The, the answer to your question is yes, adultery is adultery. If both parties are committing adultery, South Carolina does recommend the doctrine of um, recrimination, which if, if that, and that's a big word, but most if, if both parties are committing adultery, then they can't use that adultery as a ground for the divorce itself. Right. If both parties are guilty. Right. It just kind of nullifies it, makes it even. Um, right. If if, that, if adultery is going on, um, explain to the listeners the inclination and opportunity part where the adultery needs to be corroborated. Okay, well, obviously, good, good. adultery, lots of people have the question, do I need it on film? Well, that's where you come in, Vicki, but, but you don't actually have to have the, a picture of the two people together alone in a room. So, um, but yes, you do need corroboration of inclination and opportunity. And, you know, lots of times people come in and they suspect that their 
um, spouse is having an affair, and you know we we listen very carefully to why they would suspect that they're why they would suspect that that's going on. Sometimes they don't have a clue, but I mean, as far as inclination, um, you know, if if a man comes in and says his wife is out shopping and buying expensive high heels and having her hair done and she's lost some weight and she's going to the gym all the time and she's sitting in the driveway of her car texting on the phone and then the phone has been cleared out, obviously. Those are all telltale signs that, you know, something is not right in the marriage and it's possible that she's having an affair. So there are basic trends that we look at when we're interviewing people. Um... To, to show the inclination and you know once they the party decides that they want to follow through on whether or not the spouse is cheating then we would try to get some of that proof in 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 evidentiary form meaning we would want to subpoena their credit card records their phone records go on to facebook and find out what they're putting on facebook for example we just found um in a case we're working on that the that the, that the girlfriend of the husband was announcing that she was engaged to the husband when, you know, the husband's still married. <laughs> so Facebook has become quite a good tool for finding out information about people. And there's pictures of people together. So you can find, we found pictures of people hugging each other and kissing each other and having beer on a boat together when, you know, the wife is at home with the children while the guy's out on a sailboat with his girlfriend drinking a beer. So, you know, Facebook is a really good tool for showing inclination. Okay, and, and inclination, just for the audience, it is the kissing, the hugging, the hand-holding, the public displays of affection that, that people might do, or a restaurant holding hands and kissing and stuff like that. That's right. what we call right. inclination. And then that combined with the opportunity, which would be being in a hotel room, being in an apartment or a house alone. Right. Um, I've literally caught people in the back seat of a car in in the process. Um, that's that's rare, but <laughs> but I have right. done that on a couple of occasions actually. And and uh, so the back seat of a car can work too if 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 you're sure that's what's going on. But um, so those two things, the inclination and the opportunity, corroborated would hold up as adultery in South Carolina. And no, you don't have to see the act itself. You don't have to have video of the act itself. If you show those two things and they're pretty solid, then that would work. That that works. And, you know, it's uh, the standard of proof really is not that um, hard anymore. I mean, sometimes, obviously, it can be very difficult. But, you know, the society has changed so much and our laws changed so much that sometimes, you know, the, it, it's better to just go ahead and admit that you've been bad. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like our governor did. Admit that exactly. you've been bad and, um, and you know, t- t- take the heat for a while. So, especially where the other, where the, where the cheating spouse has admitted, you know, listen, I did it and I'm, I'm guilty. And that's certainly, the court's going to look at the proof maybe a little bit differently. They're not going to require extensive corroboration of the inclination or the opportunity. But certainly you have to have corroboration, and the standard is that it has to be clear and convincing, and then there's got to be a, a clear preponderance of with a sufficiently specific time and place. I mean, that's, that's the black leather law in South Carolina. It's, so that's, you know, you can right. look to that and see what you've got. And you mentioned you mentioned our governor uh, pretending to hike on the Appalachian Trail when he was actually in Venezuela, and his wife went to court and actually did not have to wait that one year separation because of the adultery. And I, I know that as far as equitable distribution of property, there's pretty much a standard rule about that. But some people get convinced to uh, to settle. Um, where they might not ordinarily settle for as much, they might be convinced to do that in order to keep the other party from being drug in and stuff. So it does have an effect sometimes as a leverage tool, doesn't it? it yes, it does. And certainly, um, you know, especially where there are children involved or it's a marriage of long duration or, or you know, the, the cheating spouse makes a lot of money and he has there, there's lots of issues there, then um, certainly the adultery does come into play when you're trying to settle the case or try the case. Um, I tell my clients that, you know, if they're committing adultery and the judge court finds that that's happening, 
they, they risk large exposure to attorney's fees, that they would yeah. be in, responsible for the attorney's fees that have been incurred by the spouse in proving the adultery and having um, had to go through the divorce process and hiring a lawyer as well as, you know, trying to find out all the financial information related to the divorce, which can be substantial. So there are reasons why um, people who have committed adultery want to settle their cases because they don't want to take that in front of a judge, and they um, do want to try to settle their, their cases. You're right, and we're, we've got to take a break, Emily, but when we come back, okay. one, of the, one of the chatters has asked a question of whether it's okay to record a spouse's phone conversation without their knowledge for proof, and we're going to take a break, and you can answer that when we come back. Stay with us on the All Zeus right. Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. You can call at 646-652-2071, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone? If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at AbramsForensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code HWT. Welcome back to the Vicki Child Show, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Our special guest today is attorney Emily Johnston, and she's answering your questions about divorce and, and custody issues. And before we went to the break, we had a question about whether you could record your spouse's phone conversation to get proof that they're having an affair. Emily, want to go ahead? You, I mean, th this goes into um, um, a complicated area of the law. Um, my we we would never ever tell people to record conversations that they are not a party to, and um, we don't want our clients to run afoul of the federal wiretapping regulations. Um, just like we wouldn't ever tell our clients to try to hack into their spouse's computer unless they had the passwords freely exchanged between the two spouses. So. My understanding is that you cannot record a conversation to which you are not a party. You cannot place a recording device in the bedroom, um, a voice-activated device. The, the, the evidence that um, is garnered from those recordings is tainted and inadmissible. And that's how we practice here because we're very concerned about the wiretapping regulations and, and it's exactly it's exactly what I tell clients too that it's it becomes part of the fruit of the poison tree if you collect that information and you haven't done it legally the courts most likely would never allow you to use it right. um, we, and, we don't even want to know I mean if our no, clients no, I don't either. we don't even want to know that they've done that yes. we don't want them to tell us that they've but of course if they if they are a party to the conversation they could then it's fine. You know, and lots of times the court even orders in child custody cases that you know that all the recordings all the telephone conversations between the children and, the, and a parent for example if it needs to be supervised they can order um, that, the, that the telephone conversations be recorded. So I think if you have a court order authorizing the, of course, that doesn't help in an adultery case, but if you do have a court order, that, that's a different story. Right. And um, right. we have another question uh, online chat. Emily, uh, uh, D.C. asked, if the, are the laws the same if you find that your mate is having, a, having an affair with someone of the same sex? And over... Over my experience, I've had several of these cases, and initially, many, many, many years ago, the way the law was written, it described it described the adultery as a, an act of sexual intercourse. Uh, tell tell us how that's changed, if it's changed, and, and how would you answer that question about same-sex relationships? Oh well, it is a mixed-up world, muddled, and um, and but we believe that. I mean, the law in South Carolina is that it does recognize that, that homosexual acts are uh, the same as uh, illicit sex between two, a male and a female. So I think the short answer of that is that, yes, a, a homosexual act um, is, is going to be treated as adultery. 
The only thing I have found is in trying to prove it, it's not quite as easy because rarely do you see a public display of affection between two males or two females. And it's also, if they go into a house together and spend the night, it's not looked at the same way without those, those displays of affection or without some emails or cards or letters or something. It's much harder. That's right. I mean, it it is harder. And, you know, lots of people in this economy are actually sharing space with um, a person of the same sex because it helps their financial situation. So then, you know, how do you prove that, that they're sharing a house that there's not something else going on? So, I mean, I think that that question, that's where other proof comes in, such as Facebook pages or other pages or credit card receipts where they might be going to um, specific establishments that um, where where gay or lesbian um, couples hang out. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, but I, I, I want to be careful about how I characterize that. But I do think that there are situations where you might be able to show by independent corroboration that something else besides the roommate situation is going on. Right. And certainly, as a practitioner. For anybody, I would, you know, if they need to have a roommate, um, I would always tell them to have a roommate of the same sex right. um, and not think about about what that might do as far as living together under the same roof for um, adultery purposes. We've got another... not much in my practice. No, and I, I don't have it a whole lot, but I have seen it several times, and it, 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 does, it does make it harder to prove, and I tell my clients that right up front that... It's it's not quite the same as when you have a a man and woman. We have another question from a from an online listener who says, "I am a stay at home mom and and wife. I do not work. My husband works. He's an alcoholic. I don't have access to our accounts. Will a lawyer take my case without payment up front and get my husband to pay my attorney fees?" Mm. Well, I mean. It, it that all depends, really. I mean, if it's a case where the husband, where a lawyer, and I'm just speaking generally now, not to my practice, but where a lawyer can pretty much um, look at it, look at a case and see that the that the let's talk about in terms of a husband having the earning power and the mother being a, a stay-at-home mom and and spouse. You know, if there is en- enough money there and the people have accounts and savings accounts and money market things and she'll be she's going to be able to find a lawyer to represent her so that they can go to a hearing and get attorney's fees paid by by the spouse even if there's nothing going on i mean if they're they're just if it's a breakup of the marriage um i mean you don't have to prove adultery and you don't have to prove um you know physical cruelty or anything in order to be able to get what we call an advance against equitable division or an advance for attorney's fees um, from that, from the marriage, because any any assets that are acquired during the course of the marriage, and a lot of people don't understand this, are, are marital, and so both spouses should have access to those funds for to pay their attorneys and to get their proof and to hire a private investigator. So, she may have a hard time if there's not a lot of money involved in a case getting a lawyer to accept her case with no retainer. Um, there are very few lawyers who would take a case without her having some kind of um, retainer or money that she can pay up front. And usually, in those kinds of cases, there are family members who are willing to step up and help, or friends, or credit cards, or whatever. But she, you know, but it's not a lost cause, and she's just. And our listeners certainly shouldn't shouldn't give up because she has no money to pay for an attorney. Because there are ways around that that uh, some people may not think of off the bat. Right, and and if you're worried that your husband might do away with all that money without your knowledge and 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 get rid of it, then there are court actions that can take place that can freeze those accounts. Um, we had another question from a caller, Tim. Tim, are you on the line? I am on the line. Yes. What's your question? My Tim? question it concerns child support. How that is determined? Because I have a friend who has three minor children. And he has been incarcerated twice for non-payment of child support, but the court-ordered child support is almost as much as he makes. How do they determine a fair and equitable child support situation? In, in South Carolina, are you calling from South Carolina? I am Lexington County, as a matter of fact. 
Hello and welcome. If you're if in South Carolina, child support is generally um, done pursuant to the child support guidelines, which are easily accessible on the web through the DSS website. Um, if oh, some factors go into the child support guideline, the most important factor is the gross income of each party. So if you have, if your friend is an employee somewhere and has W two income. Which is, you know, what most of us have. We have a, we get a W two at the end of the year showing how much money we make. Um, right, that he is. income is, pardon. He is. That income, yeah, that income is, yeah. That that income is is put into the guideline, and the guideline essentially calculates his child support. Um, in cases like that where both parties are working, and let's face it, in this economy, most most marriages or most parents are both working at this point in time and they're both making um, some hourly wages that calculation is very e pretty easy to, to, to get to and to ascertain and when it's a case like that the court really doesn't have any much discretion in changing the guideline amount the cases the child support cases even though it practically puts him at the poverty level and you know most people I, I I understand because I think that sometimes the child support doesn't take into consideration enough the marital debt that's been accumulated between the Hello? I think we lost Emily. No, I'm here. Are you there, Tim? I think we I lost Emily. Okay, I think we lost Emily, though. And actually, it is time for a break. So we're going to take a break and try to get Emily back on the phone and answer some more of your questions. So if you callers well, want I'll to call you, in. I'll hang, up and, I'll hang up and listen to the show. Okay, okay, Tim, thank you. Go ahead with this child support. Thank you. Okay, Bye. our number, if you want to call in, is 646-652-2071. Or you can join us and chat online at hearwomentalk.com. We'll take a break and be back in just a minute. Hi folks, this is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone? If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at AbramsForensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at AbramsForensics.com. That's AbramsForensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code HWT. Welcome back to the Vicki Childs Show with our special guest, Emily Johnston, who is an attorney and court-certified mediator for divorce cases. You are listening to the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. Um, before the break, Emily, Tim had a question about the, the child support and how his friend was almost destitute because he was having to pay so much child support. And you talked about it being on a, a scale based totally on income. So uh, Tim felt like his, his question was answered. If you had anything else to add to that, though, feel free to do so. I, I just think, you know, if he has questions um, specific to his case, he really ought to go see a, a lawyer who specializes, not specializes, but who, whose practice is devoted to family law because, um, or his friend should do that because, he needs to know what they, why he's paying so much in child support, and um, I think probably somebody who looked at the totality of his circumstances could could explain to him um, why what factors the judge may have considered. Okay, and if you um, if your your income has changed, actually, you can get a reduction, can't you, based on a change in circumstances and stuff? Yes, absolutely, and you know we're seeing that in in our courts more and more, um, and and lots of people are having to bring their own cases. Um, without the assistance of a lawyer, and the judges recognize that because the economy is is bad, and lots of people have lost their jobs, especially in South Carolina. So if there if it's a real burden, and there's it has to be a substantial change. It can't be, you know, a, a very slight reduction in your income. It has to be a substantial change in circumstances. So if you believe that, if our listeners believe that they 
um, qualify for that, then they should certainly look into pursuing that remedy because certainly child support is always modifiable based on changes in circumstances. Okay. Um, uh, when I have clients come in and they know that there is a, a paramour, a boyfriend, girlfriend out there who's sleeping with their spouse, they often ask me the question about alienation of affection. And in South Carolina, when I first started practicing a long time ago, there was an alienation of affection uh, remedy where people could go in and, and try to uh, get back, so to speak, at the other side. Um, explain that. I know North Carolina's had some some cases, successful, well-publicized cases, but explain that alienation of affection and what it is. All right. Well, I, uh, and certainly, I mean, you and I have been practicing about the same amount of time, and I do remember the, the good old days when people could actually assert a claim against the paramour. Um, uh, a money claim, a damages claim. So, but those days, uh, the the legislature has uh, legislature has abandoned that. Um, we do know. Then the two causes of action are, are alienation of affections, which is you know your the the person is alienating your spouse, um, and you used to be able to to file a civil suit against the the boyfriend or the girlfriend. And the other cause of action that people generally talk about is criminal conversation which is a fancy word for committing adultery, I guess. And it used to be, that used to be prosecuted by the solicitor um, in the different counties that that was actually a crime and they could be prosecuted. So you didn't want to be put yourself in the situation of having your, your local solicitor prosecute you for a crime and, and have that in the paper. So all that's been done away with. The only thing that we really have anymore is that if the third party, and I'm involved in a case like right now that involves this a third party is alleged to have marital property in their possession or title to marital property um, if the if the if the spouse is given property to a, to his girlfriend to hold it then that person or girlfriend or boy you know paramour can be named as a party in the family court case and there is a relief that can be addressed against that person who is holding the property so if but that's about the only time that people, uh, girl, paramours, are involved in family court cases unless the court finds in the best interest of the children that the paramour has to be restrained from seeing the children or being around the children or something like that, 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 that they can be actually named as a party so that the court can put teeth into that relief, so to speak, that mm -hmm. there would be a court order against the paramour not to come around the children. Right, and, and and I worked a case recently where that was um, the case as well, and then we, we actually caught them on videotape all leaving the house together, Paramore, the kids, the, the husband, all leaving the house together to go away for the weekend to a little vacation. And and there is, the judge did issue a restraining order in that case to keep the children away from the Paramore. Right. And, and and that brings up another, in, in custody issues, both pre-divorce and post-divorce, the, the judges usually, if, if not always, say that you cannot have your children around a member of the opposite sex who's not related by blood or marriage who, who spends a night. And we often get hired just to go document the fact that man is having girlfriend spend the night or, or right. our wife is having boyfriend spend the night. Address that right. issue. Well, first of all, I mean, outside the legal context, when that's happening, it's it's such a matter of grave concern for the parent who is on the other side because, you know, maybe the separation between the parents is, is new and fresh and they have little kids and somebody who's not thinking clearly, you know, brings a new person, a new adult, a romantic partner into the equation. So it's very confusing for everybody. There's hurt feelings everywhere and, you know, that, that's just never a good idea to do that. And, and because the court recognizes that the children are going to be confused and hurt during the separation, they, they, they do include these restraining orders that the parties are not to have other romantic partners around. But for that reason, I mean, it's just generally recognized for that. So um, the standard is a little bit different once the parties become divorced. Uh, obviously, but in South Carolina, when you're married, you're married, and you're not supposed to have um, romantic relationships with anyone else. So they don't want, during the separation, for either party to have a romantic relationship and expose it to the children. 
Um, is, but you know, and that's that's the that's the key. It can't they cannot expose the children to the relationship. They can go out on the weekends when they don't have the children and do what they want to do, essentially. But but they cannot expose the children to a romantic relationship. Of course, once the parties are divorced, they're free to date and they can expose and they can have the children around their their girlfriend or boyfriend or. And, and that's not such a big deal, except that in South Carolina, you know, the court frowns upon anybody spending the night with a person to whom they're not married um, in front of children, especially mm-hmm. smaller children. I mean, that's, and, and we have had, and I'm sure you've had, custody cases where custody was actually taken away from the custodial parent because that parent was bringing, you know, the boyfriend, the romantic partner, into the house and sleeping with that person in the house with the minor children down the hall. Right. I have had a so, lot of those cases. Yeah, yeah. The court really frown, frowns upon that. And, and and even if there's not children involved, we always say, you know, it's very hard to keep the lid on everybody's emotions. At the beginning of the hour, you talked about how emotional the divorce process is. And we find that it, you know, if you bring a third party into the equation, the, the other, the spouse is, the, who's hurt, is not going to want to settle. Is not going to want to be reasonable. Is not going to want to go to mediation. Is going to want some revenge. And that always makes the cases harder and more difficult to to settle. And remember that when when they become more difficult or when the emotions are enraged. All that takes time, and it ends up being more expensive for everybody. So you're spending a lot of time on attorneys and private investigators when you could be setting aside that money for, for other kids. purposes to help your children. Exactly, right. Start a college um, fund. Emily, we have a call from Deborah. Deborah, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm sure if you addressed it on the show. Hi, it's a question for Emily, um, and it's about, you might have addressed it earlier, I heard most of the show, but it's a, it's a tough subject, but it's uh, in uh, the case where a couple is found to be one person has stepped out in the relationship and has contracted any kind of uh, venereal disease or anything, and the, the spouse gets it. Now, there, is there a claim that could be made against the, the bad person in the relationship? Is there any case? for grounds for suit there if, if the wife gets sick, yes. et cetera. There is. I mean, there, there yes. are. Yeah. There, there, are, there, are, there are civil actions that can be brought between spouses for a wrong or negligent act between the spouses that is outside of the mm-hmm. family court context. My firm doesn't deal with those, but we, we, there are cases where, where um, one spouse negligently inflicts Something upon another spouse, and they that the the that the hurt spouse would have a claim in civil court for money damages. And a money damages. Yeah, I had a case years ago where I was working for the husband, and his wife was having an affair, and he found out that she had contracted a sexually transmitted disease because he found the medication where she had been to the doctor, and he mm-hmm. found the prescription bottle, and that's how he found out, and he. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to to put it mildly, he was quite livid that uh, he'd been now, exposed to this. Right, and uh, of course, if it's an ongoing illness or, or something that you know you would have to take medicine for, which some of the contracted diseases uh, you can take medicine for to to abate the symptoms. I mean, obviously, that would go into the spouse's alimony claim if she's spending a hundred dollars a month on medicine, and that was the fault of her husband then certainly that would go into her alimony claim and she should get $100 more a month because of that medication expense. Mm-hmm. So to some degree, I the family court is involved a little bit. Right. And you have to have be, be symptomatic. You can't. I mean, some things take a long time to show up. Um, and it's, then it's harder to prove but uh, and can be life-threatening and much worse than just medicine. The, well, that's right. true. I mean, you're, right. you're talking so, about you know, HIV. HIV, or you're talking about, you know, count. I mean, lots of women or men mm-hmm. have uh, need counseling after going through finding out that their spouse has cheated. So counseling expenses sometimes goes into the equation or into the proof in front of the court when you get to trial, saying, you know, but but for my spouse doing this for me, I would have never been had to see a counselor. Now I see a counselor once a month, mm-hmm. and I I want I I need that into my I need that 
to be considered when a That's court a good awards one. That's violence. good information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not being talked about so much. Dottie Laster brought it up the other day on another show that you all aired, and just about how married people should be using, sadly, safe sex, practicing safe sex, because people are out there stepping out all over the place. Human trafficking was her issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, traveling people <laughs> can be, you know, can make the wrong choice. Well, absolutely, and and and, and and sometimes, sometimes you don't just catch a disease from this, but you get pregnant from this, and then you have a whole other issue. <laughs> and you've got you've got another child, and then you've got to go through the whole paternity test issue and make sure that it really is his. And I mean, there are uh, it it gets deeper and and wider and more complicated as you go. Yeah, I will say that having been a family law practitioner for 25 years, I know Vicki's seen it too. We've, we've seen a lot of things that we thought that we would never see, mm-hmm. and a lot of that mm-hmm. has been brought on by use of the Internet. Um, the, the, the Internet has just caused people to do things that they would have never done before. Oh, that's true. And they even have sexual affairs on the Internet. We discussed that in another show with Computer Forensics when we talked to Steve Abrams. And it, he he confirmed that a lot of the computers that he analyzes, he finds out that they've had these ongoing Internet affairs for quite some time. We're up against a break. Deborah, I hope we answered your question. And thank yeah, you so much for much. calling. Thank you so much. Good information. Thank you thank for you calling in. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Emily, I want to talk to you a little bit about mediation and let you talk about how that can be very effective. And hope you all stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes on Hear Women Talk, produced by the Zeus Radio Network. Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes, or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone? If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at abramsforensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert, as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at abramsforensics.com. That's abramsforensics.com, or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code HWT. Welcome back to the Vicki Childs Show with our special guest, Emily Johnston. And uh, Emily, I want to give out your web address, too. It's Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, lawfirm.com, johnstonlawfirm.com. You can reach Emily there, and if you need to call her office and get help, She's the person you need to call. Emily, I want to talk a little bit about mediation. You mentioned it earlier, and how mediation helps you in the legal and the financial realm, both save money and and resolve a case a whole lot sooner. Okay. Um, for, for our listeners out there who actually don't know what mediation is, it's kind of a fancy term, But so let me just briefly define what it is. It is a confidential decision-making process. And in that process, you have a, what we call a neutral, the, the mediator himself or herself is a neutral, and the, that neutral person tries to assist each party in reaching a, an informed settlement of the questions that come out of the divorce. So any decisions the mediator does not make, the decisions are actually made by the parties, hopefully with advice of counsel, with the help of a mediator. And um, if the mediation doesn't work, of course, then you go back into the litigation context, which is much more expensive. But we're finding in South Carolina and in my practice that mediation works about 95% of the time if the parties are ready and prepared for mediation, which I'll talk about in a minute. But that's the mediation process. And sometimes when you're talking about a full, um, you know, divorce case where custody alimony and division of assets is involved, that process is going to take a full day. And a lot of people say, well, why why does it take so long? We don't really know why it takes so long, except that the mediation gives each party the opportunity to let someone else who's objective and neutral hear their side of the story. And we find that when people are able to go in and tell somebody how they are feeling that they are much more invested in the process, and, and of course, that takes time. But the me- mediation can be successful for that because in the litigation context, 
most people generally don't get to tell the judge really how they're feeling because most people, if they told the judge that, they'd probably end up in jail, you know, if they told them how they were feeling. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, that's a joke, but, of course, that they that mediation gives them an opportunity. Now, to be pre- prepared for mediation, you need to know what your rights are, and you need to know what the limitations are and the possibilities in your case. So in order to do that, you need to be advised by an attorney who, you know, practices in the family court area and who is um, able to give you um, advice regarding specific details of your case, like the caller who came in about the child support case. They could, would be able to, t- to tell him exactly what a court may or may not do. Um, Mediation is not going to work unless you're ready to settle the case. And, you know, once you are ready to settle the case, meaning you have your financial documentation in order, you know what your spouse has, you know what you have, then this is in terms of assets. What are the balances in your bank accounts? What is the balance on your Chase credit card? What, how much is your 2003 Highlander worth, for example? You're going to have to have financial information in order to come to a complete settlement of your case. So uh, gathering information is the attorney's job, and the attorney ju- can guide you through this process. And you, you know, normally would go to the mediation with your attorney. Now, in bigger cases where there's a lot of money involved and complicated issues involving valuation of businesses, etc., the parties might actually have a joint um, financial expert who can come and assist the mediator in trying to come up with solutions to divide the property between them or come up with numbers for alimony or child support that's actually going to work for the parties. So you may have um, a very complicated mediation or a very simple mediation. But in all events, I would like to stress to everybody out there that, you know, you don't have to have a mediator to settle your case, and you certainly don't have have to have a court to settle your case. If you and your spouse can agree and it's within the realms of reasonableness and fairness, then, you know, you can try to, to work, work on the, gl- the bigger details of your case and then run that by a lawyer who can, who can actually tell you whether it's fair in the, in the law. So we try to always try to settle our cases or come up with a settlement conference before things get too far out of hand um, and people get too polarized in their positions. And you'll find, I think, lots of attorneys do try to settle cases early on because the process is very expensive. People have to take time out from work so that they're missing work, you know, that they could use on family vacation. So, so there's lots of factors to, to be considered when you're saying, I'm going to fight to the end. I want to prove my point. It's the principle of the matter. We mm-hmm. find that, that that's not the best way to approach your family court case these days. Well, I, I agree, and I sometimes see clients who are more concerned about who's going to get that vase they bought on their honeymoon and and who's going to have to buy the kids' lunch at school. They get so tied up in the minutiae that they forget that they need to take care of all these things, these big things, get all, bring it all to the table and resolve right. these things. They, they, right. They just want to fight a lot of it's so much anger sometimes in these cases, even without adultery as an issue, but it could be Absolutely. money issues or, or many others, but they get they and get caught up. They do get caught up. But and let me let me just say that once if you go to mediation and you settle your case, then the attorneys can probably pretty easily draft an agreement. People have questions about this. If I settle my case at mediation, will it be over? Essentially, it will be over, except that the court has to approve your mediated agreement. So you would have one, instead of having a two- or three-day trial on the issues, you would have a 15-minute hearing where the court would look at your agreement and pass upon it as being fair and equitable between the two parties and in the best interest of the children, where there are children involved. So mediation is not the end of your case, but it's very close to the end of the case. Mm -hmm. And if we have time here, we have just a little bit of time address one other thing because sometimes uh, I get a lot of questions about this and I I simply just refer them to the attorneys. Um, You brought up earlier about the the issue of child support. Alimony though, alimony, when when one party is due alimony, is it also based on income and how is it typically decided? All right. Alimony is one of the hardest questions that I find as a practitioner. People come in and they think that if their 
spouse's committing adultery, then they're going to get all of his income, which isn't true. But, I mean, alimony is not done by a simple formula the way that child support is generally calculated. Alimony is, uh, by statute, the court has to look at many, many factors um, in order to to assess alimony between the parties. So the court generally looks at the length of the marriage, which is very, very important if it's a marriage of long duration, the physical health or emotional health of the parties, the ed- their educational background, their employment history, their s- standard of living. Lots of people think that that's Lots of lay people who come in and say, well, you know, it's, I'm entitled to the support to which I've been accustomed. Well, that, that's not really the standard in South Carolina, but it's a consideration. Um, the court also looks at, you know, the, and the expenses of the parties and their need. So alimony is not, and let me just put this in, marital misconduct is just one of 11 or 12 factors in determining alimony. So mm-hmm. marital fault or adultery is just one, one, one factor. So alimony is, we, you know, we, we, attorneys have tools to try to help them calculate what uh, alimony issues. Um, we find that in, in cases where there's a lot of income that we need to bring in accountants to assist us in that. Um, and, and I will say that the person who's getting alimony is never enough, and the person who is paying alimony is always too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are the cases. Those are the cases generally. I mean, alimony cases are, to me are the hardest to settle because yeah. there aren't any real, you know, black and white answers. Equitable division is much easier to settle than an alimony case. Because yeah, and you're never happy depending on what side of the fence you're, you're sitting on. Yeah, there there are so many more things we could have talked about today, Emily, and maybe I can have you back on at some point. And we can talk about restraining orders and and uh, physical cruelty in marriage, criminal domestic violence. Uh, those are those are all issues too that that greatly affect the the divorces and the outcome of of those divorces, and even civil and criminal charges later. But um, I, I would. Maybe sometime if you'd like to come back on, we can talk about that. And I'll also talk about cohabitation after divorce where people are getting alimony and then they start shacking up with somebody and oh, yeah. and, and how that's proven and what laws affect it. Yes, those are all issues that a lot of people have questions about. And, and I, w- I would love to be back on when you, when you have a... Yeah, because I'd also like to talk about I'd like to talk uh, some more in detail about the children and about the custody issues and and what kind of things affect custody. I know sometimes fathers get the kids and sometimes mothers get the kids based on the particulars of that that divorce. And I've I've worked a lot of those cases where it's really really hard for the court to to decide to take away a child from one parent. And But I see it a lot. I know you see it a lot, and I'd really like to address that issue in the future as well. So, again, you can reach Emily Johnston at johnstonlawfirm.com, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, lawfirm.com. I uh, appreciate you for joining us today on the show, and all you listeners out there, thank you for joining us and chatting and phoning in your questions. I want everyone to stay tuned today at 1 o'clock for the Dottie Laster Show. And Dottie's going to talk about human trafficking. This will be the first day that Dottie's had her show. She was a guest of mine some weeks back, and there was a lot of interest in in all that she had to say, and enough interest now that she has her own show. So please stay tuned for that at 1 o'clock today. And join us next week again at 11 o'clock on Hear Women Talk, part of the Zeus Radio Network. Emily, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. I look forward to having you again. Thanks a lot. Thanks all for listening. Bye-bye.